Hello and welcome to Enjoy the Wander. I'm Unji. I'm Wanhe. And I'm Ryan. <laughs> welcome, Ryan. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Ryan is actually joining us after a 24-hour shift. But before we jump into that, we would just like to kind of introduce Ryan. He is our house church shepherd. So at New Life, we do something that is the house church model. And um, Wanhee and I are in the same house church led by our shepherd, Ryan Lay, and his wife, Judy Lay. And so we are connected in that community. Ryan, along with several other members of our house church, are deeply plugged into the healthcare profession, medical profession. And so we get to hear a lot of inside stories of what's been going on. And Ryan, we feel like, has just so much experience in a world that we are not familiar with. So we wanted to invite him onto the show to to share that with you guys as well. Uh, one of the reasons that we uh, wanted to do this series especially, or one of the things that we wanted to focus on in this series is seeing the different two different worlds uh, coming together at one point, right? And so previously we talked about students and teachers, and in this episode, we're going to be talking to uh, doctors and patients, uh, folks who've actually had COVID in the past, and uh, talk about where those two perspectives can meet. And so uh, we're really interested to see what Ryan's perspective is throughout all of this pandemic, uh, because he's really been in the front rows yeah, of this worldwide pandemic and just some of the struggles and dark things and some of the hopeful things and some of the changes that have been happening over the last few weeks and months as the vaccine's been rolling out. And so, yeah, we're just excited to learn more about Ryan and see what his work is like and um, how his identity has shifted over these last few months. So Ryan, what are you? So yeah, I'm Ryan. I'm a third year uh, MedPeds resident. And for those who don't know, MedPeds, just, it just means that I am dual specializing in both pediatrics and internal medicine. Um, so I see the whole spectrum in terms of age from newborn babies all the way to the 18-year-old mark. And then when they transition to become adults, 19, um, until... The geriatric population. Sorry, that that sound in the back is my daughter. Yeah, and she's watching Zootopia. Yeah, good job, Abby. We've actually seen Ryan throughout his residency process, right? Starting off dual special, like residency itself is so busy, and dual specializing being in the thick of two different specialties and um, really intensive, um, I guess, practice in both. And so I, we've already seen him like really trying to juggle, like you heard, like fatherhood, um, being the leader of our house church, and then obviously a very demanding residency program. And then now COVID comes as well. And so we would love to just kind of hear um, a little bit about what life was like pre-COVID and then also what it looks like for you right now being in the front lines. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, you know, prior to COVID, life was always busy. I mean, as a resident, it's always, I think, not being home and So like Abby was born my fourth year of medical school. So really when I started residency, she was one and just not being home to help out Uh, my wife, Judy, I think was, I felt a lot of like guilt, um, but also at the same time, because I mean, I I like what I do and I I really enjoy it. So I think part of me feels a little bit of guilt for not being able to be around to help her. But at the same time, it's not like my life was like very easy either on the other end. And so I think like being physically tired and then emotionally tired was was kind of a lot. But I think, um, and it took a little bit of time, but I think we were able to kind of find a good medium, a good balance. And I think that's also something that we're still trying to 
to figure out in this ever-changing world, especially with the pandemic and everything going on. What made you want to choose MedP? Um, that's I, I get this question all the time. So I, mm-hmm. when I went to med school, I wanted to pursue, I was thinking of pursuing pediatrics because that's all I had kind of seen and known before. Um, and then when I went to medical school, I really fell in love with medicine and like adults and like just taking care of really like sick people. And I think I always had the this idea in the back of my mind that medpeds is not something I, I felt it was like a little bit more competitive than maybe something that I could uh, achieve or obtain. But it was just something that I was really passionate about. And I think even, you know, as a believer and as someone who I feel like God has really gotten me through medical school, got me through residency, I just felt very like led this way. And so I just prayed and I just trusted and um, I just went for it. And um, I think God really was with me. I managed not only to match into the specialty that I was very blessed and shocked to have been able to match into, but also to stay in Houston, which was my ultimate goal was to stay here in Houston with my family and with Judy's family. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think just trusting in God helped me get to where I am. But I think I really feel like God placed that passion in me uh, in the first place and just trusting help me get where I am, I guess. So it sounds like, you know, you feel very confirmed in this calling and this dual specialty that you did choose. And so like we've seen you tired and we know that the residency program is very demanding. And then, you know, you talk about um, the beginning of last year and you were talking about in March, you're going to be in the ICU unit. And then March was also when the pandemic hit hard here in Houston. I would love to know what that experience, how that experience started for you during like serving in the front lines during this COVID-19 pandemic. And then also when things were finally kind of looking better for at least our local community, you were then placed in the ICU again in July, which was the other peak. Did residency suddenly look different or did it just maybe look different because it was COVID? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, being medpeds, I see the gamut of adults and kids and everything in between. And So in March, when this first kind of started, I remember I was in the ICU uh, over at Memorial Hermann, the medical center. And I remember I I was on a night shift, actually, and it was Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz Center, who tested positive for COVID. And at that point, they shut down the NBA. And I remember distinctly being in in our little like workroom and realizing, oh, something Something is like about to happen. And over the next day or two, I I remember I was working on nights, the hospital policy, we started talking about COVID. And this is when like our hospital system had no idea how to respond. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know if we should separate the ICUs. We didn't know what we could handle or how we could handle and everything was in flux. And there was so much chaos um, and so much uncertainty towards everything. That's when we were running out of PPE or were we really running out of PPE? And then the CDC, you know, gave the recommendation to not wear masks, but then a few days later was saying that we all needed to wear masks. And so on all levels, as on a personal level, as a one person, physician, a healthcare provider, not we're all confused, but then also seeing on a systemic level of like the hospital not knowing what to do, how to separate. And even our nation, our, you know, Center for Disease Control didn't know what to do. I think everyone was at a loss of how to approach this on all levels. And then so from there, I think I left the ICU and we were still confused at that point. I moved on to my next rotation, which was in the pediatric world. And so everything was more, you know, at this point, I remember we were all 
trying to, we were all adjusting to working from home. We were all adjusting to social distancing. And so everything was kind of quiet. I went back into the hospital on the pediatric floor. And there I took care of a few, I mean, it was a lot quieter um, just because a lot of diseases that kids get that cause them to be hospitalized are from spreading germs to one another, right? So when they go to daycare, when they go to school, and these kids weren't going to school anymore. So our hospital, the pediatric side of the hospital was pretty empty. We had a few patients and some of them were COVID. So I think the youngest COVID patient I've ever taken care of was seven days old. And yeah, that experience was, you know, it, it was so different than, I mean, backing up a little bit in the ICUs, we took care of these 20, 30 year olds where we didn't know what was going on. And we would swab for COVID. At, I remember one patient we swabbed at least 10 times and each time it came back negative, but we were convinced it was COVID. And we didn't know if these tests were even accurate at that time. And mm-hmm. it took days for it to come back only to be negative and we would swab again. And then fast forward three or four months later and we swab and we get, there's, the turnaround time, you know, sped up a little bit to two or three days. But again, like, what what is that? I don't know. And so, we, you know, we had that information faster, but we, I mean, it didn't really change our management in the sense that we just kind of quarantined the person and then asked them to go home. And then fast forward a few more months later, and I was, I wasn't in the ICU in July. I was actually on the medical floor, but it was at our um, county hospital at LBJ. And so there was, you know, at this time there was a surge in Houston. Talks of hospitals getting full were happening. And they really tried to protect our, our residents from seeing too many COVID patients. But because our hospital system was just overwhelmed with the amount of COVID, that at one point, uh, 75% of the patients that we were seeing were all COVID. You know, and even at this point, our residency program didn't know how to handle it. At first, at the beginning of the month, they were saying no medical students and no interns were allowed to see these COVID patients. And then it just became overwhelming, overwhelmed our system. And so it was pretty much fair game. And yeah, so then we, we took care of COVID patients and, um, you know, these patients who they just come from lower economic backgrounds. And so they really struggled with resources and like listening to their stories is heartbreaking. You can you can ask certain people to quarantine, but there are some people who can't quarantine. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's awful and it's sad and yeah. I mean, I sorry. There's just I'm just like all over the place because there's so many. I feel like the journey has been so long. Um, now that I'm like sitting back and reflecting on everything, yeah. And sorry, I'm just I feel like I'm just kind of <laughs> rambling right now. So as I was listening to your rambling, it's okay. Story of like. <laughs> I was listening to like where you guys started, the process that was taken. Um, I feel like along the way, you probably faced a lot of difficult situations where you really had to make decisions or think through situations where there's no like clear cut answer. How do you feel like the different identities that you hold, whether that's like doctor, father, uh, Asian American, et cetera, like how did you feel like those helped you figure stuff out? How did you like, rely on those as you went through those difficult situations in the hospital and as a doctor and even like at home during during the pandemic? So I'll give one story. I think uh, the seven-day-old baby that I took care of, with kids, any sort of fever or uh, infection less than one month is really, it's really scary. You know, we always ask our parents who, with any any baby less than one month old who has a fever, you know, they need to come into the ER so the story of how this child got COVID was that, so the mom was carrying their newborn baby and the dad was in a crowd and he was hurt 
Uh, and so as she got closer to him, there, there was a crowd of people surrounding the father and she was running to him. And, uh, and I think that's where she thinks that, that her child got COVID. Um, and it was just like heartbreaking to hear. And then when they came into the hospital, you know, our hospital system didn't know what to do. And mom, who was in the hospital at the, at the bedside of her, her child, and she was starting to clearly get sick at this point. So she hadn't gotten tested, but we all knew what was going on, right? She had the fever, she had the cough, she had all the symptoms of COVID and her newborn seven-day-old child had tested positive for COVID. So we all knew what was going on, but because there was no confirmatory test, I think even as a hospital, we didn't know what to do. Should we make her leave? But then if we if we make her leave, then she's not she's not going to be allowed to go back to her baby. And so it was just this very awkward and difficult, strained kind of situation. And I think as a father, my heart broke because, you know, I mean, there's nothing like a, a mother's love for their child. But as a father, seeing and knowing that, you know, dad can't come because he's in the hospital somewhere because he's hurt. If mom leaves the child, then no one can come to the child, right? Just because of hospital policy. And if she's positive with COVID, which she likely is, then she's not going to be allowed in. And so it was just this very, like my heart broke for this, this family. And I think, you know, I remember her pleading with me just to help her. And I had no idea what to do. And I don't even know if she knew what she needed. But, you know, I think it was, we were all just kind of at a loss, everyone in, involved in the situation. And I think as a believer, I felt like there was nothing I could do except really just pray for this family. I don't think the hospital knew what to do. I don't think the doctors knew what to do. I don't think even the patient knew what they should be doing. Having that different perspective, not just as a physician, as a family. I mean, I think all sides of me was just at a loss, if that answers anything. No, I feel like that encompasses so many, res- like the response in all of the identities you do carry, right? And how how you are at a loss of words. And it's like, it's kind of like, not ironic, not ironic, right? But like, I, we've just seen you in the thick of it, right? And you're, you, you lost a lot of sleep, you were serving a lot. And it's just like amazing how you're even, in, in my eyes, thriving right now, right? Um, and here you are coming off a 24 hour shift, because now you are volunteering to go into the COVID ICU units. How does that happen almost? Like, where do you feel now? You have this, like, not necessarily comfort, right? It's not a comfort thing, but you have more of an, okay, like, I'm going to go and help and not because it's a rotation, but almost like you're volunteering. And and that's really admirable. And I would like to see, like, how that mindset is where now you you want to be there and, and what it looks like. Yeah, that's right. Nick said no. I think volunteering is a, uh, it's too nice of a word. I mean, we're getting we're getting extra money to go to to go into the COVID IC at this point. Um, I mean, I think there's I think what I discovered about myself throughout this pandemic is that uh, there's always been this side of me that really has been attracted to taking care of really sick people, and it was always something that kind of like was in the back of my mind. And I think this experience has really confirmed to me that I really am interested in critical care, and I think. Dealing with work, working with so many COVID patients and really opened my eyes towards pulmonary medicine. And I think that's that's kind of where my heart is right now, where this, this may be the next kind of step that is laid out in front of me, uh, maybe to pursue mm-hmm. this this path of pulmonary medicine. And I think getting to go into these situations or these work extra in the COVID ICU uh, helps me to get more experience and learn more. And I was telling Judy yesterday that I feel like I'm learning a lot, but I'm not sure if I'm learning the right things because these COVID patients were, you know, we're maxing out on these settings that traditionally were not 
trained to do, but we have no options and no other choice. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning a lot, but again, I'm not sure if I'm learning the appropriate things, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, I think in all these, like, you know, we heard from the education experience, all these schools are putting in systems. Do we know if they're correct? No, but this is the first time. So I think even with hospitals, right, do we know if it's all appropriate or correct? I'm sure you guys are like not as like confident as it sounds to us, quote, quote, common people. <laughs> but, you know, like it's the first time. So, yeah. Like, how do you respond in terms of, you know, in the daily and you you know, a lot of friends that might have gotten COVID, right? And then thankfully, at least the mutual friends we know, like have taken care of themselves, recovered and kind of on the onwards, like upward slope. But then you work in the ICUs where you see like a drastic shift in what that looks like. And so how do you almost marry those two very different, but not equally same, very different realities? They're both realities, but they're such jarring realities. Um, So how do you, how do you kind of like let that simmer into, in your just like daily life and how you you know approach things yeah so I think at baseline I'm a very laid back oh it's okay kind of type of person and so you know I I I see I remember when COVID first started and none of us knew what was going on at one point I thought to myself oh it might just be easier if I just get COVID and recover have antibodies and go on with my life instead of having to like be so scared of it as foolish as that sounds now um, I think that's that speaks to my like personality like I'm very kind of like an it's okay kind of person and so I think working and seeing so many sick people and not understand fully understanding why you know we think we think you know older we think diabetes we think other medical cancer patients they all do poorly but really what I've learned and seen with COVID is that we have no rhyme or reason I was looking at the patients that I was taking care of yesterday in the ICU and the average age is in their 50s. And we had young guys as in their 30s, uh, younger than me, 31, I'm 32. So I guess like young, a little bit younger than me, all the way up to 70s and 80s. And some of them have no, no medical problems besides just this COVID. I think seeing them and seeing how sick you can get without even having any medical problems showed me, you know, there's no, there's really no on our end, rhyme, rhyme or reason that we can understand. And I think it was very sobering for me to see that. And I think it's helped me to be a little bit more balanced in terms of understanding and learning the statistics of, okay, likely you will do fine if you are XYZ. But at the same time, it's still very possible that you can get very, very sick, even without having any anything wrong with you, you know? Yeah. Obviously, like, I think one of the things I think about a lot is like, each person has their own circumstances that they have to figure out, you know, during the pandemic. There's no one clear cut answer. There's no like one clear cut method to quarantine to pandemic well. <laughs> but from your perspective, through all the things that you've seen and witnessed and through those things, what would be words of advice that you could give to folks who are looking for some clarity, looking for some answers on how can we like try to figure out what that path looks like for myself? Oh, okay. I feel like I have answers, but I don't know if this really answers your question. I think navigating through COVID, both as a physician and then, you know, as a church member, as a father, leader of our family, trying to guide our house church. I think what I've learned is that, you know, we can provide all this medical advice and we look at the statistics and this is the patterns that we see. But similar to how COVID works, like it's, 
it's, you know, COVID affects everybody so differently, right? Like I was saying, like people who have these chronic diseases may, may get really sick. And there are people who have no chronic diseases that may get really sick. So it's very unique to each, each person, how COVID affects them. In the same way, I think how we deal with this pandemic is very personal, right? I think, um, or what I've seen is that everyone has a different level of comfort in terms of you know, what they feel comfortable with. And everyone has a certain level of risk, right? Because at the end of the day, there's a balance between, you know, like we, like we were saying, you know, Juan who's able to, to work from home, or I guess not Juan, but, you know, a lot of people now are being able to work from home. Um, they are able to quarantine, but there's a lot of people, a lot of my patients who have no choice, you know, not only are they not able to quarantine, but they now that some of their kids have time, they bring them along to work to help them. I have patients who are custodians who they don't know how they got COVID, but they still have to go to work because they can't can't afford to feed their their family if they don't. The risk to them, the benefit outweighs the risk for them. And so that's understandable, right? And how can you ask someone to to not go to work when this is their livelihood? And they they, they literally have no choice. And then to, to have a blanket statement say like, hey, you guys should all, you all have to quarantine, I think is also kind of difficult to impose on people who, who can't. And I think as a leader, as even as a medical profession, all we do as, you know, as a doctor, I, I provide medical advice and that's all it is. It's just advice. And at the end of the day, it's up to my patients to accept this advice. And I think even, like as a house church shepherd, you know, I have advice, but I, at the end of the day, like I have no authority um, I can't force someone to do something uh, as a doctor. I can't force my patients to take their medicines. I can't force my parents to take care of their kids. You know, I can't force my, I can't force patients to come back to me. And so what, whatever authority I have as a physician is what my patients give me. Right. And so even as a, a leader, as a church leader, or even as a father or as a husband, I have no authority over you guys as a shepherd, except whatever y'all agree to give to me. And same thing, like I have no authority over Abby except what she perceives, <laughs> right? And same thing with Judy. I think, you know, there, there's just a balance in, in terms of all that. And I think having that understanding that, you know, I, I share things based off my experience. And then from there, each person kind of takes it their own way. Does that answer your question? No, I feel like this is so refreshing to hear because like for us, right, you're here because we are inviting you as physician perspective during this time. But that's like maybe our third or fourth identity that we might see you as, right? We definitely see you as house, house church shepherd, friend, father, like those are way up there. And then we always know you're so busy with residency, right? But we don't actually get to kind of hear this part of it. And I think to hear how how almost sometimes these identities you carry actually could clash with one another and what you've learned in the hospital, right? And what you've learned or like what you've like gained in experience and wisdom elsewhere too. But I feel like the way you're sharing it just... It's really refreshing to hear, Ryan. Or should I say, Dr. Chief Clay, <laughs> because you got co-chief resident for senior year. I don't know if those terms are correct. <laughs> that means a really big, big deal. It means um, no extra money, but a lot of extra work and advocacy for his team members, for his patients, just in a lot of ways. So we're really proud of you that even through the draining days you've had, right? You're someone that is able to see the light. You're, um, you know, excited about pursuing fellowship even because of these experiences, right? And ways that you can provide for your family, you know, by going to the COVID ICU units, right? And things like that. So I think we're just really um, humbled and grateful to get to see all these sides of you. 
you. Yeah. I think one thing I'll add is Ryan and I have known each other for, man, uh, over almost 10 years now. And I think one of the things that I've always really appreciated is just like the willingness to lead from not a place of I lead because like I have the authority, like you mentioned, but like a, a place of like genuine care and heart for people. And I can see like, as you've been doing more and more as a doctor and as a resident now, like chief resident, and then like hearing you talk about it now, I was like, wow, that core part of your identity is like so consistent, you know, like everywhere you go, like you bring it to your family with Judy and Abby to our house church and then to your family and now to your patients and now like the residents that you're going to be in charge of. And so I'm just excited to like see you lean on that strength and like really bring that out to help push folks and to really support them wherever they are. So I just wanted to highlight that because I feel like that's such a consistent part of your identity that's yeah. kind of like floating just in its own and it has its place in like all the different things that you're part of. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Juan. <laughs> House Church Shepherd Appreciation <laughs> Day. <laughs> Anyways, um, before we kind of close this time with you, uh, Chief Lay, <laughs> do you have any final words you might want to say to anybody that's listening or even fellow residents or you don't have to have anything you want to say, but anything that you feel like, you know, this is a platform where you get to share. So I don't, I definitely want to make sure you have that opportunity to have any last words. Um, I actually, you know, I did want to share one thing this is out of place, but there's one thing that I was, I, I just remembered that I did want to share. Like one thing that I struggled with, like in my identity um, during this time, one struggle, a big struggle that I had was when I, when this pandemic first kind of broke out, I was really excited because I think uh, a part of me is like I said a little bit earlier, it's kind of like an adrenaline junkie. So, you know, it's all exciting. There's like a lot of chaos. We don't know what's going on. And, and then kind of being quote unquote, like on the front lines, taking care of these COVID patients, going into these rooms and being at the forefront, learning so much, but then, and then coming home and then being excited to kind of share these experience. And, but at the same time, I, I felt this sense of, oh, he's like unclean, you know, like, oh, he sees these like COVID <laughs> patients. So um, I, I felt this mixture of like gratitude on, on some ends, I'd go to some places and they're, you know, we appreciate our healthcare workers. We love you. Um, thank you for your sacrifice. And then on some ends, it felt like, oh, no, 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 you're a healthcare worker. You know, like you cannot be here because it's unsafe and you're unclean. Oh, you deal with COVID patients? Oh, for sure. Then you need to be away from me. And so it, it felt on some ends, very polarizing. Some people would love me and some people would despise me. I'd walk into Starbucks and I remember I got free coffee. And then there are other places where I would, I was wearing my scrubs on my way to work instead of, you know, after work. Um, and I would get these dirty looks. And so it was very, not just from the public, but even from friends and family mm -hmm. and people would make like jokes asides about it. Like, oh, you're unclean. Maybe you should just sit in your car. Don't come out of the car, you know, okay. kind of things. And so I, I think that was kind of kind of difficult for me. And I think I really struggled with my identity. Did I, you know, I'm proud, of course, to be a doctor, but at the same time, I felt a little ashamed, like I needed to hide it sometimes. And that was mm -hmm. kind of difficult. Yeah. I think that's important for you to, and like, you know, to be honest, when you're saying that I was probably more on the other end than the, you know, like, I know, like, even when we're trying to to figure out who we have to limit exposures with like to be transparent like I know that was when you're describing that like something I would want to own up to as well I'm glad you were able to share that and that's probably a sentiment that's shared amongst a lot of people that have been on the front lines and and that's actually something I would want to discuss with um our next guest pastor Peter right like how do how do we talk about 
what that looks like and how we respond to that, how to separate this disease from making it into what people could make it seem like sin, which is not, right? And like, how, how, do, we, how do we talk about that healthily so it's not a, like a scapegoat? So I, I really appreciate you bringing that no, I mean, I appreciate being on here. I'm thankful to be able to share this experience. I think, um, I mean, clearly talking to you guys, I think I'm still processing through it. Um, it's been like nine, 10 months. And I feel like the stories and the experiences I have, it can, there's still so much and I'm still like trying to distill it all. And I think like part, it seemed like in my rambling even now, but yeah, no, I'm thankful to share this experience and to help, to, even to help me process through Kind of what have I experienced? So this this podcast I'm thankful for too. Appa, I want to press A. Okay, can you say hi to Uncle Wani and Ng Emo? No. What? Hi, Abby. <laughs> yeah, I think every time we have these longer conversations, I think I get to see that part of you that is always processing and always thinking and like going deeper. You know, and I I, I know that for me that's like something that uh is harder to do sometimes. And part of the reasons like why I want to do something like this. And so I just appreciate you coming on, sharing your thoughts, helping us see that perspective that a lot of us don't get to see, you know? So I hope this was an enjoyable experience for you. And hopefully there'll be future episodes where you can come on and share other parts of thoughts and things like that. Ryan, thanks for joining us. <laughs> and we appreciate your processing on the podcast where you hopefully were able to Enjoy, Enjoy the wander. <laughs> okay, ready? One more time, oh, Ryan. You want me to say it One, too? Yeah, there, ready? One, two, three. Enjoy, Enjoy. the wonder. Wani <laughs> <laughs> hates it when we do this part. Um, yeah, I really appreciate Ryan just coming here and sharing some stories, especially from the hospital that we don't get to hear about as often. Um, since Wanhi and I don't know too many people that were hospitalized, but we do have some friends close to us that did get COVID and thankfully recovered. And so while everyone has their unique story, we wanted to create this space to share from one of our friends who had gotten COVID last summer, what his experience with it was in terms of symptoms and recovery, maybe some isolation and just further insights from, from his time. And so without further ado, we have your very own 77, Alex Nam. 77, wearing black and blue, five foot, 11 and a half. Generously <laughs> estimated, rounded up. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. You are the first guest to reappear, not counting married people. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Back to back. Back to back. Uh, um, all right, Alex, why are you here with us today? So, like y'all told the listeners, I had COVID. And it was a wild, horrible experience. So backtrack it for us. It was last summer. And yeah. if you can just kind of paint the picture for our listeners to visualize what happened. Yes. Especially because at that point, we didn't know many people that had COVID. So you were the first friend for a oh, lot yeah. of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like to say I'm an early adopter on many things, but this is one I wasn't proud of. So what happened was I normally work in San Francisco and back in 2020 spring, we all thought our lives would be back to normal by summer, fall, whatever. We're making mm -hmm. bets with friends, 
Hey, ha ha ha. Oh my gosh, we can work, work from home for a month. Great. Ha 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 ha. Hmm. Then we went on lockdown. And then my company, uh, Google, shout out Google, because I love Google. Whoop, whoop. They told us, don't come to the office until July of 2021, which is now ex- extended to September 2021 because the vaccine rollout is horrendous. Dang. But yeah, so we found that out in April. So I thought, oh, wow, we could work anywhere for a year and a half. Um, I'm in a long distance relationship. Love my girlfriend, Jen Lim. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make this relationship, take it to the next level be short distance, be a normal couple for once. So I flew to Houston. Now, I really hope I didn't get it on the way there. I was wearing a mask, but I was also on a plane ride with a bunch of elderly people. So I'm hoping I didn't get it on the plane ride. My guess for folks that if you have gotten the virus, it's a waste of time to try to pinpoint when and how you got it. It's just going to make your head hurt. But Mm -hmm. when I got to Houston, two weeks after, I started feeling a little off. And then I got tested and got sick. But when I got to Houston, I worked out at Jen's apartment gym. And there were folks around me that weren't masked up. That's where I think if I could pinpoint it, how I got it. But it was exactly around two to three weeks after I landed. I got tested. Jen was telling me, you don't have it, you don't have it, you don't have it. But there was a part of me that thought, wow, I think I have it because... (laughs) You're Alex (laughs) Nam. Yeah, and my luck, knowing my luck, it's either horribly horrible or amazing. There's no in-between in my life for anything that I do. (laughs) I either work super hard at it or don't do it at all. So even when I was building my desk, I did it at one sitting, (laughs) but when I really didn't want to do it, I pushed it off for three weeks. Um, But yeah, so I got it and I felt everything, every symptom you hear about, and it just sucked. My taste, smell was gone for two days, body chills, exhaustion and I knew I was exhausted because while I had it and Jen was supporting me throughout all this and she figured she got it too but she got tested like three times and it came out negative all the time it's just hard to predict the behavior of this virus I asked her to arm wrestle me (laughs) (laughs) I was like let me see how tired I am we arm wrestled I gave it my all she crushed me (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of it she said are you even trying and I was like wow Dang, Corona is no joke. Wait, the, the question is, does she normally beat you? How badly do you normally beat her even when you don't have COVID? Yes, that's a really good question. Jen is a really healthy, powerful individual, but normally I crushed her. Mm. Yeah. You sound Are so proud. Should, is there yeah. evidence? Do we have evidence? There is evidence. <laughs> You'll find out in the next episode. She can be the next guest to prove that. <laughs> On our podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean... Symptoms-wise, felt everything. What my original plan was, was to be in Houston, go to Dallas to see my parents and come back to Houston. I ended up staying at Houston from May to late August, early September, because I was so afraid of infecting my parents and other people with it. And I literally didn't see a soul for three and a half months. I got, I became pale. I was angry all the time. I was stuck in an apartment because I was just so afraid that I would not help the cause of fighting this virus Mm. and i think you know what a couple people kind of asked me like i feel like you sound proud that you had it and that kind of made me upset i'm not proud i got coronavirus at all like a few few folks asked me that and i was like i'm just not shy about telling folks about it because people need to know 
it's like it could really cripple you it spreads like wildfire so for me when people ask me about it one i told all the folks i saw i did see people masked up like social distancing and everything so i told everyone i saw told my parents told my parents to tell everyone at church told friends i haven't talked to in a while i just told anyone that i asked or i caught up with because i even told coworkers that are in california because it gets a little more real for people when someone they know gets it you know like i honestly can't pinpoint how i got it i got it i'm healthy but i got it and i mean here we are now now everyone knows like it spreads it kills so the mental health aspect of it was really tough for me like not as extroverted as i am not being able to see people being a burden to my girlfriend i was useless and just angry about everything i like told jen i hated houston for like three weeks like i hate houston just brings me curses or whatever (laughs) but i love houston and the blessing of your girlfriend yeah so it's like i was just down angry and you know i'm a lot better now mental health is a lot better now but it's just always on the back of my mind though every time i see someone every time i do anything and now i didn't have that kind of immunity for three months (laughs) you know i was not immunity, but you're supposed to be safe for three months after you recover or like it's hard to get it again. But that's gone too. I'm just as <laughs> weak as everyone else again. So I could, I could be a two-time COVID guy anytime. Oh gosh, let, let's hope not. I think it's funny because when Alex came to Houston, he was calling me. He's like, Nuna, uh, Jen is putting a shot in my arm, the Tdap booster shot, so that I can go hug Jaden and kiss Jaden. And then mm-hmm. sadly, you got coronavirus before any of that could happen. So I know in a personal level, I was sad to choose not to get anywhere near you when when in fact right like that three-month immunity during that time is when I actually didn't know if I was supposed to go Mm -hmm. near you because we didn't know what this virus meant did you feel like that from a a lot of people or like how did you feel in terms of people maybe putting a certain cone of shame if that (laughs) yeah so I was really transparent about it, but mm-hmm. I think in general, maybe in the Asian American community, or maybe in general, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for folks to tell folks that they had it. Um, yeah. And understand that it could be shameful because it kind of signals that you're an irresponsible person or something like that. But it really Which goes against one of Asian Americans like traits, like character exactly. traits. But sense, yeah. you're really not like it, mm-hmm. You can get it at the grocery store masked up anytime. You can get mm-hmm. it anytime. And it, it, it takes a split second for to transmit. You can get it on a run. I, I saw a graphic where if you're running without a mask and you pass by another runner that has it, that's how you can get it, you know? So, like, I don't think people should feel shameful about it. And for me, when people were hesitant to see me or didn't want to see me, I was fine with it. Like, I was like, I'd rather folks are more careful. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. And th- yeah, that was crazy. I was ready to see Jaden with, with a TDAP. I didn't even know what a TDAP was. <laughs> got that shot and I got it two days later. Coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I think it's when I even like when you think of hindsight and the fact that you are someone that got it and the transparency that you were able to kind of already put on yourself is something that is very rare. And so not that, you know, I think it not that it's good. No, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. Not that it's good that you got it. Right. But Mm -hmm, I think it also helps break some norms that maybe even your friends or your peers or us like we can learn, learn about and like what is comfortable to share, you know? Um, Yeah. What led you to, so you said you were stuck inside for three months, right? Even with the Mm -hmm. immunity, Mm -hmm. what made you decide to stay inside 
And then after the three months, what changed your mind? And like, you're like, I yeah. need to get out, you know? So I also operate in a devil's advocate way of thinking when it comes to health and stuff like that, or just like, I'm a huge risk taker in terms of like anything else in life, like fun, having fun or uh, finances or whatever. But it's like for health, I try not to minimize risk to zero if possible. And at the time, I just didn't know what to believe. Like, yeah. There's so many different resources. Like there's people telling me, you should get tested again. You shouldn't get tested again. Um, you're good after two weeks. But in my mind, like the CDC is saying two weeks, but I'm like, how do they know? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's two weeks. Like how, how do you even test for that? Experiment that? I felt like three months was a good time where I thought, okay, I think I don't, if I go see my parents, it'll be okay. But I was having nightmares of me infecting other people and like affecting their lives. I was getting crazy nightmares. Like Jen was telling me I was grinding my teeth a whole lot and I was getting, and I think that's just how I operate. Like if it involves like people I care about, I get super, super stressed. After three months though, I was going insane. I love, like Jen was the only one keeping that thread of sanity, but I was going insane, not because trying to not see other people it's just being at one place I didn't leave that apartment and I was alone a whole lot she has work she's busy so I was looking at a white wall every day for nine to ten hours a day so I was just like oh my gosh no one around me didn't even go get mail and I know that's an extreme and you know listeners will probably think well that's really extreme but like that's how I scared I was of it because if it could put a young 20 something male to be really struggling for a week imagine the effect it'll have on my parents and older folks or who knows mm. like so I just was always scared all the time I didn't want to be near everybody but I couldn't take it after three months like for my own sanity I had to I had to taste fresh air so I went on a trip with Austin with two friends Chris and Joanne and they I hope they know this that was so healing for me and I'm so thankful that they dealt with me because I was relearning how to talk to people again. I, I was kind of like snappy or whatever. Like I just always, I wanted to do what I wanted to do and stuff like that. So that trip was really healing and also gave me more comfort to, okay, maybe I'll get tested again or something just in case and go see my parents. Mm. Do you feel like the three months inside changed you? Like, how do you think COVID has like affected how you view yourself, like your identity, like who you are as a person? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it changed, it changed everyone's lives, I think, like this whole situation, COVID and pandemic. I think COVID, you know, when someone passes away in our lives, that's a reminder of, okay, health is well for everybody, right? And then that thought fades when, you know, our lives just go on and go on. But COVID was a daily reminder of life's fragility, brevity, like, so I think it made me a more thankful person. It, it, helped me stay more grounded and it's opened a lot of doors for me to pursue a lot of other things mm -hmm. it's just a time of perspective it's given me a lot of perspective like every day like we're all still de dealing with this and i think joe biden was saying like vaccine rollout hopefully by spring or summer but mm -hmm. you know we'll see but like every we're still dealing with it and i think i'd like to say it made me a better person but it just sucked for everybody so everyone had to adapt yeah I wonder how we will be like when we're all like if if life returns in terms of social normalcy, because even how you were saying you had to relearn social 
awareness in, in certain ways with Joanne and Chris. I feel like I experienced that too, just from being on the extreme of distancing. It's something you made me think about. Because I went to early morning prayer once and I remember seeing people afterwards and like obviously everyone was uh, apart. But I remember being so weird because I had seen people in like a setting that I hadn't been in in like at least a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How a lot of us will have to kind of relearn social Mm-hmm. social skills yeah um, outside of you know the intimate people you do see uh, mm-hmm. yeah. i think it's a i think yeah it's a real thing i was listening to another podcast yesterday um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the host is just talking about like how people's social skills and like energy has just dramatically decreased right like she was saying yeah. she went out for a conversation with two other people for an hour and the next day she was just exhausted because mm. like, we're just not used to that anymore you know outside the people that we're close to we're like don't know how to talk about things anymore sometimes there's like really nothing to talk about you know um, yeah because lives haven't really changed that much since in in quarantine like day to day is very similar you know yeah yeah but then everyone's talking about like the big things that are happening but everyone's talking about it so what else is there to talk about you know exactly um, yeah and I feel like we've had a lot of extroverted people on this show, but even like Stefan was saying, sharing earlier about, you know, the energy he gets from people and how hard that is. And it's really, it really is affecting like mental health in, in different ways because of how we find energy and how we feel alive and how that's almost directly against how COVID is allowing our energy to be. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you talked about other open opportunities through this time. What does that mean? Yeah. So I think during quarantine, a lot, a number of us have been uh, pursuing side projects because like we're working at home and you just at home, <laughs> you don't do anything after work. You know, you don't hang out with friends. You don't, you're not even able to volunteer at places. You don't do anything. So and, you know, and then a lot of folks, unfortunately, had to deal with layoffs, too. So, like, we're all having to adapt with more time in our hands. So, for me, I felt super blessed to keep my job. But I think, you know, just being that work-from-home cadence and just being at home, having a lot of thoughts to myself, I reconnected with a close friend of mine, Spanx Wesley, and we started a little bit of a side hustle called the Nolly Market, where we, you know, sell collect cards, collectibles, stuff like that. I doubled down on some like investing. I've been reading more podcasts, like listening to this podcast repeatedly, especially episode two. <laughs> uh, the last, the last 10 minutes. Yeah, 13 minutes and 22 seconds. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's, that's the beautiful part of it. I see a lot of folks pursuing passion projects and things that they wanted to with the time that uh, has been presented before them. And a lot of beautiful things have come out of it. So uh, that's the thankful part of just being quarantined and just the impressive parts about humanity, just making the best of a situation. So yeah, I'm excited what the post COVID world will look like for some of the personal things I've been doing, but it's just, it's been crazy. I'm just ready to drive around and go to people's houses. And yeah, I was looking at pictures of my trip in Japan last year and I got really sick in Japan. So I might've gotten COVID like really early in Japan, (laughs) who knows? But I was at a trip in Japan with two of my close friends, closest friends, and we were at the club, we were um, (laughs) shopping. You know, and we were at the Japanese subway where you could hear the person next to you breathe. I don't 
I just feel like that'll be so awkward now. Yeah. It's going to take yeah. years, I think, to get used to. I, I'll probably continue to wear a mask. <laughs> so that's interesting to think about. <laughs> so, I mean, you were talking about you're either really lucky or really not. Um, mm-hmm. And you got COVID, which, you know, it, you were unlucky in that, but you made it out for good. And now you're super lucky with uh, all the Denali happening and all the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great things happening at work. So it sounds like your life is trending the way it's used to. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel really thankful, but it keeps me grounded. I think yeah. COVID and the pandemic, it keeps you grounded because... I know folks that have lost loved ones due to COVID. So I think we have to live life Mm -hmm. knowing the brevity of it. I'm just thankful. Every day I feel thankful. Every day I I complain a ton. Like (laughs) Jin and I know I complain a ton. But at the end of the day, I'm always reminded like, man, like it could be so much worse. I'm just thankful for health now. I want my friends and family to be continue being healthy and to continue to practice safe protocols and yeah I just I think it's reminding me like with being with my mom and dad I'm trying to get into a habit of telling them like I love them more because mm-hmm. it's just been a tough year you know so many folks have gone through so many inexplicable things so I never want to forget that too as much as even if it's painful thoughts I just want to I want to honor people with the way I live as best as I can. So I think that's that's been a huge learning point for COVID. Despite the physical drawbacks, the mental toll, it's got to keep pushing. The human spirit is stronger than we think. And I think 2021 is going to be a great year. Yeah. It has to be. 2020 set the floor, so <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> yeah. I have a last question for you, Alex. So one of the things that I've like struggled with during this time is when I know that one of my friends or like people I'm close to has COVID, like, like what the best way to like help or support or like reach out? Because sometimes like if you ask, hey, like, can I help you with anything? Then they feel bad because like they don't really want to burden the other person, but then you want to help. And it's like this back and forth, you know, of, like, so like as a, as someone who like had to go through that, what's like the best way for someone who doesn't have COVID or is like a friend? What's the best way for them to support that person who's going through that? Yeah, so man, everyone's different. And I think with Asian Americans, we're so hesitant to yeah. ask for help or be receptive of help. I think oh, with COVID, yeah. it's yeah, it's complicated to receive help because the person that has it doesn't want to be around others. But I think just words of encouragement, words just that signal, I'm thinking about you, um, praying for you, uh, goes a long way. And honestly, like if I'm alone and dealing with this, and I'm thinking back, if I didn't have Jen, I would have loved people to drop off food from me or something because <laughs> I was scared to go out, you know? Yeah. And if folks aren't receptive of that, I mean, that's, that's tough and I, I get it. But I think we all need to help each other. Um, I think with Asian Americans, like we want to have this portrayal of, I got it figured out. I'm doing okay. I could beat this, but no, that, that, I think is a really toxic mentality and we just need to be able to receive help. So I think if, you know, if I know someone that has COVID right now, I think one, I would just continue to encourage them. One, like let them know, like, yo, I'm here praying for you. Let me know if there's anything you need. Like I will be safe. Uh, We don't even have to be in contact. Just let me know. And just know that it's not an embarrassing thing. Like it's not, 
It's not something to be embarrassed about. And if you were going out and practicing unsafe protocols and you got it, it is what it is. Now you learned. You can't dwell on that. Just encourage the friend that you're not judging them. Because I think like even for me, like I had moments like, man, are people judging me? Do they think I'm an idiot or <laughs> something like that? Like, or selfish, but I struggle too at times now when I see folks on social media and stuff like, man, they're going out a ton or doing a ton, but they're still my friends. I love them. It's They're, they're doing it because they're going crazy mentally. Yeah. So I'm, I, back then I'm thankful for Jen and stuff, but I'm even more thankful for the folks that reached out to me. Like shout out to my friend, Sean Kim. He called me and we haven't talked in a, several months, but uh, he found out because my mom told his mom and I, I was completely fine with that. He <laughs> called me to encourage me, to ask me how I'm doing, to ask me like, dude, like, are you okay? Can you smell? That's always the first question. <laughs> yes, I can smell. But that, that really went a long way for me. Just having several friends call me, ask me how I'm doing. And I could shout out a lot of people just want to shout out Sean, because I think he was the first one to do that. And that resulted in a good long catch up session about our lives. So that was, that was really awesome. And I think that's what we can try to replicate for folks that we know are struggling with it now. Mm. Words of deep wisdom from Alex Nam, former COVID patient. <laughs> shout out Sean, shout out Jen, shout out my crew, Denali. Shout out, shout out <laughs> Denali.mkt. I want to learn more about Denali, but a different time. Yeah, we could do another episode on that and then rename the podcast to Enjoy the Wonder Nam. <laughs> There's no word. <laughs> um, yeah, shameless plug that he will be a recurring guest um, on this podcast. Yeah, I think this podcast always lets me feel very humbled because I have such joking f- relationships with so many people with like Alex. But when we have conversations like this, I'm always humbled at how like mature this little big donko is. So it's always nice <laughs> to hear. And I appreciate the transparency. I think transparency is something you set the bar in, especially early on with COVID, which is something that's really hard especially for Asian Americans, but just in general with how to navigate this during the pandemic. And so I do appreciate that because you let all of your close ones know right away, anyone that you might have had contact with so that they could figure things out before they maybe could have spread something. So I think the way you handled it was something that was so humbling. And when I think back about it now, something we wouldn't have expected from a lot of people. So, so proud of you. Yeah, that means a lot. It's been a crazy ride. And Um, are we done? Yep. <laughs> well, no smooth transition out of that one. In three, two, one. Enjoy, Enjoy the wonder. A drop in the ocean, a change in the weather. I was praying that you and me might end up together.